This is Brand and New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. Welcome to Brand and New, I am Audrey Dove. Codes of business conduct and ethics charters are powerful tools for companies to foster and reaffirm their culture of integrity and their values based on compliance with laws and regulations. These inwards and outwards facing documents provide a framework of expectations relying on each of their employees as well as on the other stakeholders from shareholders to customers and suppliers. All business partners are on the same boat, sharing fundamental principles such as trust and commitment to the environment and to society at large as responsible citizens. Intellectual property can have direct and indirect connections with compliance issues as a vector of risk. Think of counterfeiting or identity theft. Think of money laundering, where violation of IP ownership may help to easily launder proceeds of crime because of weak law enforcement and of the difficulty to determine the final destination of the financial flows. And needless to say that digital innovations such as Web3 add another layer of complexity. Our guest today will talk about the links between intellectual property and the key challenges they raise for businesses in all economic sectors from a compliance perspective. Nathalie Dreyfus has been the founder and manager of the IP firm Dreyfus and Partners since 2004, based in Paris in France. She advises her clients in all areas of intellectual property, from valorization to prosecution and enforcement matters in the real and virtual worlds. Nathalie Sabek has been since 2015 the head of compliance, financial security, and know your customer policy at BNP Paribas the leading bank in the European Union and a major international banking player, present in 65 countries with more than 190k employees. She previously worked abroad with a first expatriation as COO in Libya and head of legal and compliance in United Arab Emirates, and she has also worked as an IP professional. Very pleased to welcome you at Brennan New. Thank you, Audrey, for this kind invitation. It means a lot. Thank you, Audrey, for inviting us. And to ensure that our listeners understand the who speaks, given your common first name, I will mention your full name at the beginning of this podcast. So, Nathalie Sabek, my first question is, to what extent IP should be associated with compliance? And how do you define the perimeter of compliance in such instance? In fact, broadly speaking, the word compliance refers to conformity with a set of laws and regulations, global standards, as well as organization-specific internal policies. With the latter definition in mind, companies, regardless of their sector of activity, should ideally put in place a compliance program for the identification, protection, and maintenance of their IP rights. IP can be considered as an area that falls under a broader umbrella being compliance. The link between compliance and IP can be contemplated from a risk point of view. With the holistic approach, compliance should take into consideration all risks, which include IP risks as well. When looking at compliance coverage of IP risks, there are three main aspects to be considered. Firstly, we should bear in mind that in this broad definition, the scope of compliance expands drastically 
For instance, cybercrime is listed as one of the 22 offenses leading to IML, anti-money laundering. Secondly, the regulation is strengthened with an extended responsibility of the different actors. For example, complicity in an act of money laundering is subject to punishment, as is the offender itself. Last but not the least is about the risks to be covered. Existing risks, such as counterfeit fraud, and new risks are emerging with the introduction of new platforms and ways of doing things, blockchain and all digital assets. So regarding the perimeter of compliance covering IP risks, two important comments here. IP risks constitute primary offenses leading to money laundering, a secondary offense. Money laundering is the process of making money derived from criminal activities appear to have come from legitimate sources in which one such illegal activity could be an IP offense. And my second comment here is that IP risks should be identified and captured in the global cartography of risks. The exercise here is to highlight the major risks to be mitigated for the activity in each company. But can we talk about IP compliance? To some extent, the answer could be yes. But in my opinion, it's more about how compliance should embody IP risks. Cybercrime, counterfeit, fraud, etc. are primary offenses leading to money laundering, which is a secondary offense. So preventing counterfeit risk, for instance, is also preventing money laundering. This explains why compliance must integrate IP risks. So you have been working in the IP world for more than 20 years. Have you witnessed the development of compliance issues in your practice? And if so, could you tell us more? Yeah, actually, uh, at first, uh, compliance and IP departments didn't interact much. Each sector worked on matters concerning their own subject. And a case about a domain name owned by Vinci led the way to radical change in the way things had always been. It was about a domain name, Vinci.group. Vinci is a French company and is a worldwide leader in concession on construction. So basically, a, a fraudulent domain name had been registered and the domain name was detected by Vinci's uh, monitoring services and remained uh, inactive for more than three weeks. But MX servers were configured and Vinci didn't take any action against said domain name. At the end of the three weeks period, the domain name became active with a fake website leading to think it was the official website. And the, the fraudsters used a fake email address and, and set out a press release alerting to the performance on revisions of the previous year's accounts. And they peddled uh, the idea that the accounts were inaccurate and had been subject to fraud. Uh, and as a consequence, uh, Vince's share price fell sharply by 18%. So this case shows how the registration and use of a domain name can lead to significant damages to the economy or the reputation of a company. And uh, stock market regulators have set up guidelines to mitigate domain names' risk and to avoid this kind of situation from happening in the future. And some guidelines are specific to domain names and highlighted three things to be done. First, set up monitoring system for domain names. Second, establish and maintain an emergency procedure to react as quickly as possible. And third, stay on the lookout for new hacking methods and adapt system accordingly. 
So this case clearly illustrates that it is paramount that compliance on IP departments work together hand in hand. And compliance on IP departments need to be integrated in the crisis unit for risk management. But what, what approach, Nathalie, would you recommend based on your experience? I recommend a three-step strategy to avoid situations like in the Vinci case. To conduct prior researches among the domain names to get an idea of the current situation and identify the legitimate domain names on the fraudulent domain names. Then second, to conduct an audit. And this audit allows us to set up the right strategy tailored to the company's needs. And we can then assess the risk and map them out for companies. And we also help to put in place a crisis management policy to tackle fake news. And third, uh, to, to set up a daily monitoring on domain names. And this monitoring has to be worldwide. And this is important because it helps us to identify immediately relevant domain names, analyze them, and assess the level of risk to set up the right action. And finally, I, ad I advise a, a collaboration between IP and compliance departments to tackle the risks, for example, by identifying the key people to contact and having a process in place to secure proofs of, of a fraud or infringement. And we can take immediate action. How do we do? We start with a technical, I would say, IPIT study on the situation, then we set up the right strategy. And then, for example, we will request a disclosure of registered data. Uh, we would uh, ask for the blocking of a domain, taking down a website, removing email servers. And if the domain name is uh, of interest for the company, we initiate action to open the amicable transfer of the domain name. And if, if we cannot manage, we will file an ADR complaint, such as the UDRP. And what are the risks to be covered in practice? I, I have in mind frauds, counterfeiting, money laundering, corruption. And... So firstly, risks to be covered are IP risks. By covering IP risks, we will also prevent money laundering risk. Indeed, money laundering being a secondary offense, as I said previously, which means that it's linked to a primary offense that could be avoided with mitigating actions. To illustrate this topic, we can mention the recent publication of the EU-IPO, European Union Intellectual Property Office, and Europol, that have produced jointly a new report on Intellectual Property Crime Threat Assessment 2022. According to the report, criminals use traced-based money laundering schemes to hide illicit funds by integrating them into normal commercial flows and avoiding tracing and detection. So IP protection is thus one of those actions of mitigation, which is a key element in the risk mapping, too often neglected or ignored. We obviously witness many risks in IP, and this includes risks in the Web 2 and in the Web 3, like money laundering and counterfeiting, and especially in the art industry and also on marketplaces such as open space because, of course, of lack of regulation. And, and we see also some risk in the metaverse. On, we see blockchain domains on virtual land names being registered by third parties. And there are also a lot of identity theft and counterfeiting in the NFTs. And of course, we cannot forget about trademark infringements in Web3. And most often the trademarks 
uh, are not adapted to a project in Web3 and we need to adjust trademark rights to the virtual world by adding specific um, goods and services. And which actors are the most exposed to them? So are they inside the company? Are they the vendors, the clients? Well, regulated professions, of course. And, and this applies to banks, uh, online banking in particular, on insurance firms. But I would say also uh, any type of industry involved with e-commerce. Um, we, we don't talk enough about big farmers, and they're very much targeted by uh, Web 2 and Web 3. Of course, the, the luxury industry, luxury brands are very much exposed to counterfeiting and other infringements in Web 2 and uh, on Web 3. Uh, in fact, everybody who is somehow involved in the process is exposed to such risks. But there is no single standard one-fit-all answer for this, as it could be internal, external, and sometimes both. The degree of exposure to such risks for the various players involved will inevitably depend on many factors, such as the nature of the underlying activities, the size of the organizations involved, the geographies and jurisdictions implied, applicable regulation, for instance. So, moreover, every sector is concerned, and not only the luxury sector, more usually impacted. Based on the above-mentioned report, a study carried out by AUIPO and the OECD, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, has estimated that counterfeit and pirated goods worth 119 billion were imported into the EU in 2019, representing up to 5.8% of EU imports. So the scope is very extensive and the actor multiples. What framework, so could be regulatory or others, uh, should be implemented to cover these risks in the most effective way? Uh, what about self-regulation and industry-led codes of good practice or the like? The compliance setup of an organization has to take into consideration IP risks, in particular when its main activity is related to IP products, including digital channels. To do so, a cartography of risks should be established with IP risk included. So companies should direct their effort for properly comprehending their IP risks and then include them in their compliance setup. The target is really to identify IP risks in both regulated and unregulated activity with this holistic approach. I totally agree. Compliance and IP departments need to work together to, to better apprehend the, the IP risk in their compliance uh, setup. To anticipate the risks, it's important, as said before, to identify, plan, and execute. And we advise IP department to take the lead and show to compliance the risks related to IP and especially on the internet. But Natalie, to what extent do such risks increase at the same pace as the evolution of the internet from Web 2 to Web 3? That represents, as we all know, a significant paradigm shift. Well, like the internet in its early days, uh, Web 3 is, is a new subject to, that needs to be properly understood. Um, indeed, Web3 web is a technical subject, um, and the legal framework around it is almost non-existent today. And this is why it's necessary to have a, a solid technical team that can help the legal department. 
While some may say that it's a new Wild West in which everything is yet to be defined, it is half true because the, the legal framework already exists and we can rely on it. Uh, we just have to build the proper legal framework around it because the evolution of the internet to Web3 faces different issues, and especially in IP. For example, blockchain coupled with uh, smart contracts helped uh, to address complex copyright and other IP-related problems, especially to commercialize creative works. NFTs are one of many possible uses uh, of blockchain technologies. So although Web3 aims to simplify communications and to allow direct interactions between users without having to go through a central server, the risks are high due to the anonymity factor and decentralization. The point is that no more intermediaries are required to perform transactions, such as buying crypto money or acquiring rights through blockchain. There is a risk of not being able to determine the origin of funds or the destination of funds. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. Many of the options related to Web3 will likely be part of our daily lives in the near future, from NFTs to multiple metaverse ecosystems and blockchain domains, endless possibilities, but also risks will arise. Let's focus on blockchain domains. Can you explain how they differentiate from DNS and what are the associated risks and solutions in compliance and also in IP? Domain name system, DNS, could be thought of as acting like a phone book for the internet. The current DNS is fully centralized. Its data is distributed worldwide but has a variety of vulnerabilities, such as being exposed to different types of hacking and manipulation and being subject to censorship. As a database, a blockchain stores information electronically and acts as a decentralized platform for recording transactions. Even though blockchains can reduce censorship, but there is an inherent risk as they could be used by cyber criminals. The decentralized nature of blockchain domain name makes them ideal for cyber criminals. The blockchain is a complex world where anyone can connect to buy, to purchase, or to be part of the chain. The risks for compliance is not being able to truly identify the persons that you interact with to be the victim of a fraud or not knowing the ultimate destination of your funds which may contribute to for, for terrorism, for instance, terrorism financing. A blockchain domain is in the, the Web3 uh, almost has the same function as a, a DNS domain. Uh, and the main difference uh, being that it does not operate on the, the basis of a, a centralized register. It works through the blockchain, a, a decentralized registry. In fact. You all users can access uh, in the same time. Uh, so the, the websites corresponding to blockchain domains are not very widespread at the moment. I, I would say for two main reasons. The blockchain is still often misunderstood by the general public. And Web3 is a, is a major change for what we know the, with the rapid evolution of information and 
communication technologies, it's only a matter of time before a huge proportion of internet users will invest in the, in the blockchain. And also, the, well, the technology is not yet supported by all web browsers. Uh, for, for example, it is necessary to install add-ons on Chrome, on Firefox, and this does not always work. And I would say also the, the anonymity, I would say, of the holders is much more important on, on decentralized uh, domains that, uh, than on Web2 domains. So it's, it's indeed very important to apply a, a KYC and know your customers on process when uh, using a blockchain domain. And KYC are possible on the Web2 as the servers allows to store information in order to check the compliance uh, of the company's customers. KYC is, however, possible for users who have chosen a crypto wallet uh, like the crypto.com, which requires account verification for compliance reasons. Also, the, the platforms, they don't really offer a dispute resolution procedure to tackle cyber squatting. Why? Uh, well, the blockchain registration process is automatic and users are anonymous. And ICANN, on the contrary, offers effective procedures to tackle cyber squatting, such as the UDRP. As compliance officer, are there some best practices you can share to mitigate risks related to Web3? The, the key feature of Web3 is that it is decentralized, which inevitably opens the door to significant legal and regulatory risks. In Web2, subjects such as cybercrime, hate speech or misinformation are already quite difficult to monitor. All these will become more difficult to monitor in a decentralized Web3 environment due to the absence of central control. All these things imply that a proper risk management in the Web3 world certainly require a new regulatory framework with a new and adapted way of thinking about compliance. It's important to have a heightened vigilance and to take any appropriate preventive action. I can provide several advices here. Let's say, do not enter with unknown party. It means that to enter Web3, interact with professional firms to get advices and IP protection, if any. Ensure to get the relevant information on any investments that you plan to do. Which strategies of protection and enforcement of IP rights would you recommend to companies in Web3? Above all, It's necessary to be aware of trademark and copyright infringements and also fraud. Well, first, we, we recommend the monitoring of blockchain domain names, but also the monitoring of virtual lands uh, in the metaverse, such as .dcl, .eth dom domains, platforms like uh, Decentraland or Sandbox. So it's also necessary to set up monitoring on the various marketplaces. Well, all transactions on the blockchain are traceable. It is complicated to find the holder of a fraudulent domain name, but it's not impossible. And through the same blockchain, we can track down fraudulent users and better protect IP rights uh, in the Web3. Uh, and then it, it is then possible to send a cease and desist letter to, to try to arrange a transfer or a withdrawal of the disputed uh, blockchain domain or to negotiate the, the purchase of the blockchain domain. And it's also possible to, to notify the search engines uh, to remove references of search results, but also to notify the registries to, to try to remove the blockchain domain. And we can also act uh, against marketplaces uh, such as OpenSea. 
And do you have any precautionary advice to brand owners, particularly on risks you anticipate with the development of the metaverse? In my opinion, trademark owners should carry out prior art searches and develop audits and strategies in order to, to get an idea of what exists and be fully aware of the risks um, before, before taking any action. And also, in second time, the monitoring is essential to detect rapidly the frauds and infringements. There is no doubt that Web3 activities will grow uh, at uh, an expansional rate. And brand owners really need to keep this in mind and take the lead in securing the, the assets. And this obviously involves investing in the, the various blockchains as quickly and efficiently as possible on registering domain names, including blockchain domains, to protect against cyber squatting and trademark infringement. Thank you very much, Nathalie. Now I have a few rapid-fire questions for you. Is Web3, that we mentioned several times during this discussion, mostly a challenge or an opportunity for you? Oh, an opportunity, of course. Uh, well, uh, blockchain and decentralized technologies offer some powerful functionalities uh, that could be really relevant to IP rights. Creators can also benefit from smart contracts and determine a, a percentage of royalties in advance each time the, the work is sold. Well, a blockchain domain on Web3 can be highly effective in verifying asset ownership in tangible manner, or more so decentralization is a is a phenomenon happening anyway. It's a significant shift in the tech industry that concentrates in, in the hands of the tech giants. Well, decentralization is definitely the future of law in terms of ownership rights over virtual assets and personal data and its protection. To me, it's a shift towards new and more equitable ownership of rights. It's both. However, I believe that regulation is still needed in order to provide similar protection as in the real world. Therefore, Web3 should be really seen as a package offering potential benefits that bear new risks, challenges, so the users cannot seek the benefits without being ready to meet its challenges. Any book you have recently read and that you would recommend to our listeners? So to stay within the same topic, I will recommend Compliance Tool from Marie-Anne Frison-Roche, which is a collection of conferences dealing with the tool of compliance in order to build a compliance law. I would say Guerre by Louis Ferdinand Senil, War in English. Uh, and this is a short and quite miraculous text, a brief novel by the dark genius of modern French literature, Louis Ferdinand Senil. Dark genius because he was such a racist and an anti-Semite, and even an Nazi we know now. And he sided with the Nazis in occupied Paris and had to flee France from Germany in August 1944, I think. And he took refuge in, uh, in Denmark and came back only years later, and after being pardoned. He would probably have been condemned to many years of prison. And the, the story is of uh, survival and adaptation to a strange and violent environment. So why Céline? Well, I would say as an IP lawyer, his uh, literature raises many problems and questions. First of all, uh, Céline published in the uh, 1930s anti-Semite pamphlets that are real call to murder. And the question, should we republish them? Uh, they may be attacked under anti-racist French laws. Well, does the literary value of those texts overcome their heinous aspects? Or shouldn't those pamphlets be made available to the readership for historical reasons? Well, to help 
understand the hatred that led to mass murders, to this day, they are not available in a printed version, but of course, easily available on pirate version on the internet in few clicks. And second IP story around the novel Guerre, War, is the very story of the manuscript. It was lost. Céline had always claimed that it was robbed in his Montmartre flat in summer 1944, when Céline left France for Germany. Nobody believed him. He was such a dreadful man. And suddenly, the manuscript with thousands of other pages emerged. Well, the story is still unclear. Who broke in Céline's flat? Who kept it for decades? There has been a recent lawsuits regarding this manuscript and the inheritors of Céline suing the owner of the pages. And the question of copyrights is seminal, of course. I should add that the, the novel War, Guerre, is, is not at all anti-Semitic, it's humanist. Uh, it's another complexity and irony of literature on, on copyright law, I would say. Thank you very much, Nathalie and Nathalie. My guests today were Nathalie Sabek, the head of financial security and know your customer policy at International Retail Banking of BNP Paribas, and Nathalie Dreyfus, founder and managing partner of the IP firm Dreyfus and Partners, both based in Paris in France. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover brand and new. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org. Thank you.